Welcome to the Let's Talk About Parenting podcast with me, Laura, and my lovely mum, Ruth. Hi, everyone. Together, we'll be discussing all things parenting, from education to mental health and everything in between. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Let's Talk About Parenting podcast. As always, I'm your host, Laura. I'm an educator and the founder of Questa Kids, which is an online educational game for kids aged 7 to 12. And I'm here with my mum, Dr. Ruth, is a child psychiatrist who also helps me out with the content for Questa Kids to make sure um, it's all in line with good mental health practice around kids. And today we are talking to uh, our second podcast guest who's called Hannah Witten, who is a podcaster and sex educator. But first, as always, we'll start by talking about a uh, famous woman that we have learned about this week. So I've got someone who I know you know about because you told me about her. It's Rosalind Franklin. It was part of the evidence of uh, how girls get treated differently in science, which I think was maybe designed by you to push me towards a science career, which absolutely did not happen. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe it was designed to make you realise that sometimes the um, it's not always a level playing field and you have to just watch out. Yeah, that's true. But, but tell um, us what you found out. Well, I, was, I knew the story of Rosalind Franklin, who was a female scientist who was crucial in, um, in part of the discovery of DNA. Um, and I knew about her because I went to King's College London, and they, which is where she was working at the time. And they have a building actually dedicated. It's called the Franklin Wilkins Building. Um, so I knew a little bit about her anyway. But then I started doing, I wanted to make sure that for the England country quest for Questa Kids, that we had a kind of science-based Uh, activity for kids to learn about and dna is an interesting one because obviously it gets really really complicated really quickly um there's like basic stuff and then and then all of a sudden before you know it it gets really really complex but so i decided that a good way to approach it was through rosalind franklin and she was a scientist who specialized in x-ray imaging and she was integral to the discovery of dna along with some other scientists crick and watson were the two favorite ones famous ones Um, and then there was wilkins as well and the unfortunate thing about rosalind franklin is she died when she was only 37 so actually before lots of people recognized the crucial nature of the work that she and the other people in the team were doing so crick and watson ended up getting the um the nobel prize for the research Whereas people have argued later that actually had she been alive, she should have been awarded it as well. And her role in the the discovery process has been kind of, for a long time, was kind of forgotten about and not really talked about that much. Yes. And what was, what was really interesting about her was that in order to understand, you know, the, the structure of the molecule of, of DNA, they needed... Um, a sort of chemical analysis, thinking about what atoms were, you know, what elements were part of it, but also the the, the, the extraordinary double helix structure, which is what makes it so special and gives it the qualities it needs to carry and transmit genetic material, which which of course is why it's so so significant. Needed that that part of it, that sort of structural part of it, needed the work that she did, and. Um, you know, no one person, not even not even no combination of people like Crick and Watson was going to be enough because there were there were lots of scientists who were involved in gradually piecing it all together. And um, you know, I think people sometimes think of of scientific moments of of, of insight as, as happening really suddenly to one person, but it's rarely that. It's rarely years and years and years of painstaking, meticulous, um, really careful work of which she was a really significant part. And it's just very sad because many people don't know her. Um, and yet without her, it wouldn't have happened or it would have happened much later. I and mean, somebody else would have come along and done what she, she did as well. Exactly. And I think it's interesting when I was reading about her, one of the things that came up almost as kind of like an excuse for why she wasn't included that much is that apparently she was a bit, she was, she was, I don't know if grumpy is the right word, but she was quite standoffish with other people. She didn't work well with others, I think we would say. She didn't play well with others. Maybe she wasn't <laughs> Maybe, you know, maybe she just wasn't part of the boys club. And um... yeah. 
now we've discussed uh, Rosalind, um, let's move on to our guest for today. Um, the guest that we're speaking to is called Hannah Witten. She is a podcast host and um, an expert in sex education. And that's what we're going to be talking to her about, particularly about how to talk about sex and difficult topics um, related to, to sex and bodies with kids. Hannah's also a mum. So her kids are quite, her kids quite young, but I think she's already thinking about some of the different ways that you can make sure that you're thinking about consent and bodies and talking about sex with kids. So, okay, without any further ado, let's introduce our guest for today, Hannah Witten. She is a sex educator, podcaster, author, content creator. Han- Hannah has a podcast called Doing It, which is all about sex and sex education. And she also has a YouTube channel. And she's written two books, one called Doing It and the other one called The Hormone Diaries. Hi, Hannah. Hello. Thank you <laughs> for that intro. It's great, uh, great to have you here. Can you tell us a little bit about how you started kind of creating content around mm. sex and sex education? Did it start with the podcast? How did you start off? So it started with YouTube um 12 years ago (laughs) and um originally I was just making YouTube videos um like as a hobby um it was you know the early days of YouTube and (laughs) like the social media kind of thing that is just like so big now um and at the start it was just like I was making friends on the internet (laughs) kind of thing and then um I was also like watching a lot of content online um and was exploring um like learning about sex and relationships and was having a bit of a like I was 19 and I was like hang on a second I wasn't taught any of this in school like what's going on like this is this is wild like how am I just learning this now and So I was having that whole moment for myself. And then also I was making these videos and growing a bit of an audience online. Um, And I noticed that they were mostly young women. And so I felt like, well, I want to do some good with this platform that I have, albeit a very small platform at the time. And I was like, well, what am I comfortable talking about and knowledgeable about um, that other people maybe feel less comfortable chatting about and the obvious answer to me was sex and so I started making videos about it online and it's just kind of snowballed from there becoming podcasts and books um and just also my own journey and like learning about all of these things because it is honestly like such a huge topic it's never ending um yeah it's been fun (laughs) awesome and so do you do you consider that you were kind of like almost like a fully formed expert when you started or presumably you learned stuff along the way oh my god so much learning (laughs) on the way it's really funny when I look back now like knowing what I know now and I look back on me then I just think the audacity that she (laughs) had to think that she could talk about sex like for people to watch and like educate other people but it's interesting because I kind of like have to show some compassion to past me because Mm. um it's always the case that like the more that you learn the more of an expert you become actually like the more you see of the things that you don't know and so then you feel like you can't speak on the things whereas at that time I was just like full of confidence (laughs) full of all of this new information and so I'm really grateful that past me like went for it without any like second thoughts because if I'd had like sat down and just knuckled down and like done all of the research and got all of the certifications before taking any action I then would have gotten overwhelmed and I wouldn't have started whereas I've done it kind of like exploring as I go learning as I go getting certifications as and when I like feel like I want them or need them um, and then it's also meant that my content has like evolved over time to kind of really show my journey and like my personal learning about all of these things but then also kind of like the life stages that I'm at as well. It, it's interesting listening to you talking Hannah because what you're describing seems to have a great parallel in being a parent 
Um, <laughs> learning on the job. <laughs> yes. It seems like you've got some of the basics in your head when you start, but actually you don't really know very much. And yeah, sometimes yeah. You, you learn through your own experiences. Sometimes you learn through listening to and talking to other people and sharing mm-hmm. ideas and your repertoire of understanding just grows and grows. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think, um, I, I sometimes think Laura, Laura's um, our oldest, and I always think, well, gosh, she was our trial baby. <laughs> She's going to turn out right. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So it's an and you've, you've recently become a parent, is that right, Hannah? Yes. Um, at time of recording, my little one is going to be a year old in a few days' time. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> we made it a year. I do feel like the first birthday is like more a celebration of me and my partner than... Yeah, exactly. Maybe. He's not... Kids not He doesn't remember. care. He's got no concept of birthdays. Like, no. come celebrate us. Like, we did it. <laughs> well, so in, in the Netherlands, which is where I spend a lot of my time because my husband's Dutch... at other people's birthdays you you, like you say happy birthday to the person whose birthday is but you also say congratulations to all everybody else at the party like (gasps) all their friends and families and I've always felt like it's sort of like congratulations you've got them this far like they made it to this age this was a team effort exactly (laughs) yeah because everybody you'd expect everyone to be at the birthday party to be people who are close with the birthday haver who have had some impact on their life yeah exactly mm, but, love but that. you know the the birthday haver might not necessarily be able to pick them out of a crowd so it's just about mm-hmm. sort of supporting them um mm. okay and so i mean i guess the kind of the crux of what we want to talk about on the podcast is even though i think your child is probably a little young to be talking about sex so far <laughs> considering <laughs> just a bit yeah. language skills are a little bit underdeveloped at this yeah, point hasn't grasped the s sound quite yet. <laughs> <laughs> that is the first step Um, (laughs) but so how are you planning on talking about about there's there's so many things within this kind of field but gender sexuality sex ed there's a lot how how do you kind of even begin to start thinking about that yeah and I think it can feel like it's really overwhelming like oh Mm. my god where do we start with this um but I am going to do essentially like from my work and my research of like what I've come to the conclusion is like the best thing, which is bite-sized chunks. Okay. Start as young as possible with whatever is age appropriate, timely. So like, even now you say he's too young, but the way that I talk to him is, is like, can I change your nappy? Or like, can I, you know, get you changed? Or, and, and like, and giving room for him to respond in some way and obviously like as someone's parent especially like when they're so young there are so many elements of like you having to do things for them and um you know you having to do things that they don't want to (laughs) do um and all of that but it's about kind of like really setting uh a precedent and like building like just from like the most basic basic of foundations so an example that always comes up is um like giving your little one autonomy over their body Mm -hmm. um in a way that is like um they're not forced to hug or kiss family members friends that they don't want to and so that's not just something that you would teach a little one but it's also something that you would have to teach the adults in your life as well to kind of say hey if they don't want to kiss you, you don't force it. Yeah. Um, because when you like have that foundation and that can be done from like two, three years old, um, then that is a really solid way to start building on to conversations of sexual consent when they, you know, start to think about becoming sexually active. Um yeah. yeah, I think it's really easy to forget that sex education. You think of it as something about your body interacting with another person's body, but actually it starts with your own body. Completely. Understanding it, yeah. knowing the right names for things, mm-hmm. but also that kind of consent piece um, and, and having a boundary, you know, allowing a yeah. kid to have their own boundary. And there's a lot of other stuff um, that you can be doing from a really young age, like you said, like the correct terms for body parts. So naming the penis and the vulva in the same way that you would name like 
the head, shoulders, knees, and toes. Yeah. <laughs> Essentially. Or a new song. I can hear a new yeah. song coming along. Oh, I mean, when he was really little, we did regularly sing head, shoulders, cock and balls, cock and balls. <laughs> but then we were like, we maybe should, should stop. Maybe once he learns about when you should sing things and when you shouldn't sing things. <laughs> yeah. Because also we're just like, he probably should learn actual head, shoulders, knees, and toes because we don't want him to go into school and yeah. everyone's doing head, shoulders, knees, and toes. And he's like, no, guys, it's cock and balls. And then we'll be like, no. <laughs> um but yeah so like correct terms for things um but then it's also like not just what you're talking about but the way you're talking about things so and this was something that I was taught like very early on and I was like oh yeah that actually makes a lot of sense is like um if you're changing a dirty nappy rather than being like ew gross like oh you're so stinky just being like wow (laughs) (laughs) look what you did look what you did yeah it just it it doesn't have to be positive it can just be neutral um because we can get so hung up on all of our different bodily functions and you can pick up from a really young age shame and guilt around those things and so me and my partner are also really open about I mean also it's a necessity when you have a little one like they're in the toilet with you whilst you're doing your business and, and everything um but also just like as they get older as well, I don't intend to like hide my own body um, mm. away from him. Like if I, if he's in the room and I'm getting changed, I'm not going to be like, oh, don't look. I'm just going to be naked yeah. around him. Like research shows that um, like non-sexual casual nudity in the home has a really positive effect on kids as they grow up in terms of self-esteem and body image and things like that. Mm. Um, so yeah that's another another element of it as well it's it's also just kind of like not just how you're interacting with them but like your own behavior and things yeah it's it's Mm. about kind of talking about things in plain terms that kids can understand Mm -hmm. and then also modeling kind of positive behavior or behavior that you want them to emulate yourself which is also something that that parents can find really difficult because lots of parents haven't dealt with this stuff themselves right that kind of honesty Mm -hmm. about bodily functions being naked in front of other people can be something that's really tough for parents to do anyway. Yeah. Um, so modeling it for kids is you've got to work on your own stuff first before. Yeah. Uh, Another big thing as well um, that I've been clear with other family members too, because again, it's like, it's not just you, like the other people who are going to be like interacting with your kid as well. The village. Is, yeah. Is like um, not having any negative self talk or like self body talk around him so like you know if a family member not even at him but just around him it's just like oh I feel fat today or like oh look at my double chin like whatever because we live in a really fat phobic society and I'm like let's not normalize that kind of negative Mm. (laughs) self-talk from such an early age um yeah so that's another thing that I've been thinking about as well so Hannah I'm really interested in it's sort of like that's the plan and that's what you're that's the plan (laughs) (laughs) yeah the thing that the thing that I um became aware of through being a parent was that that actually I have three children and each of them was very different so Mm. I remember um uh, you know there were things that I I did when 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 Laura was a baby um, and then when her brother came along, he just had a completely different view. And, yeah. you know, all my all my plans had to be quickly rethought because actually it was a dialogue between us about mm-hmm. what, was, what was okay for him as well as what was okay for me. So, you know, the example I was, I was thinking of as you were talking was that um, Laura used to love being fed with a spoon. You know, it was just like this wonderful <laughs> game that we played. But... Her, bro- her younger brother, who's two years younger than her, if you tried to put food into his mouth, you know, even stuff that you knew he liked, he would take it out with his hand, he would put it down, <laughs> and then he would pick it up and he would eat it himself. And the message Love was, that. Yeah. I decide. <laughs> and so, you know, we had to, I had to change everything. I had to decide that I was going to give him stuff that he could just pick up, didn't need a spoon for, he could pick it up himself, because if he tried the spoon, it was all over his hair and all over me and yeah. all over else. Um, and he told me that. And mm-hmm. I think that that dialogue is so much easier around all of these things to do with body integrity and you know, the whole lot if you can listen to what they're saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And it and like 
that is such a process as well. Um, like I, you know, Rowan doesn't talk at the moment, but you can still gauge so much from their facial expressions, their movement and just like how they are with you. Yeah. Body language, like all of that. Um, yeah, I, it's so funny I love hearing stories from people who have got like multiple kids where they talk about how different their babies are like like, from babies to adults I'm just like oh my god because me and my sister are the same just like super different as babies and kids and so I'm like I'm like I've got parenting down with this one child (laughs) (laughs) well you got a real shock didn't you mum because I was like the perfect baby and you were like yeah I could do this I'm an expert already I'm just an amazing mother and then my brother came along and he was like a literal demon in a baby's Right, I feel um, like that's what we're in for if we do have another because Rowan is a very, <laughs> he's quite, very chill. Yeah. He's very easygoing. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, and um, the listening thing that you mentioned, it reminded me of a piece of advice um, that I received. And I guess this kind of applies more to like older kids once they can actually like talk with you and have a conversation. Because a lot of um, uh, people might get scared when their kid comes to them and is like, where do babies come from? Or like any other, you know, question um, that they might have about sex. And you never know like where they're picking stuff up from. So they might like come to you one day and go, mummy, what's a blowjob? Like, and I think a lot of people can like freeze. I I don't particularly know how I'm going to react if that ever happens to me. But like (laughs) I have an idea of like how I would want to, but obviously like in the moment, (laughs) who knows? Yeah. Um, But um what um yeah what I was taught was before you go in and answer their question again it's about listening to them because you need to figure out where they're at where their knowledge is at first because if if your eight-year-old comes to you and says mommy what's a blowjob and then you start explaining it to them because you're like, I'm going to be really sex positive. I'm going to explain this thing to them in a really clear way that like makes sense and da da da. And then they're traumatized. They're like, oh my God, what? Because <laughs> they weren't ready for it. But actually like turning the question back to them and being like, what do you think it is? Where have mm. you heard that? Um, and not shaming them for asking that question because one of the really key things that I I'm hoping to achieve as Mm. Rowan gets older is always having that um, open dialogue. So it's it's multiple talks. It's not like the sex talk. And I want him to always feel like no matter what question he has or whatever is going on, he can always come to us and ask the question and not feel shamed for that. So um, yeah, so it's like turning it back on them and being like, "What, what do you think it is? And also some kids... They don't need the whole explanation. They might just need like one quick, short answer and then their curiosity is satisfied and they run off and play. Um, so yeah, yeah, they don't need the, to be sat down for a full reading of... Uh, yeah. Here's some diagrams. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so yeah, you're right. It's so about like really tuning in with like, yeah, on the surface, there's the question that they've asked, but actually what what is underneath that in terms of like, what are they? what do they really want to know? Do they want some reassurance from you? Do they want to prove somebody else on the playground wrong? Like, are they curious about something else? Have they even got the language right? Like, there's so much. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's it's a piece of advice that we we talk about a lot on this podcast and as part of Quest to Kids um, is these aren't just one conversation it's multiple conversations and that often kids will go away and think about something for a bit Mm -hmm. and then they'll come back and then they'll have something else yeah and also (laughs) you never know when that's coming so um two months ago you said this exactly exactly (laughs) or it's nana's birthday now is a great time to ask (laughs) etc etc love it um, and one of the things that you've talked about, Mum, before is how often kids will will kind of play with it. Will come mm. out in their play if it's something that they're thinking about. It will come out in their play, and if you're if you're watching and you're observing, you can kind of see them working it through in their in their minds. Oh, I love that. Yeah, and 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 I think creating an atmosphere where they can play 
and and you know that it's okay that there are very few things that it's not okay to play with you know to you know to make a make a game out of is is one thing but but also when they you know we i think we talked the other week didn't we about what happens if you hear your child saying something which is likely to be unacceptable to other people so you don't want them to repeat it in 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 public and i think their play gives you clues about things to then have a conversation about you know when you can when 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 the moment arises to to sort of clarify things so they're not they don't get themselves into a muddle um when we mm. talk talking about racism Laura was that the thing that I can't remember what exactly it was we were talking about but we were was it, yeah was it racism it's or interesting. Were we talking There's about fat phobia general principles about those conversations about difficult subjects that that you can have with children and, and one of them is there's never only one opportunity the opportunity mm. will come again and again particularly if they're puzzled by something they may yeah, not because ask I think, the same question yeah something else which relates to it well, and I guess there's there's a kind of there's there's kind of a question in there of you want your kids to have an open dialogue with you, but you also have to recognise that not everybody is in the same place in terms of talking about sex. Mm-hmm. Like you might be happy to ask answer a question about blowjobs, but grandma might not be, or granddad <laughs> might not be. <laughs> um, so I guess what is the piece where you talk about situations where you talk about bodies and where you talk about sex? Um, d- does there need to be a kind of a conversation about like there are some talks which are private and some talks which are open or are you just planning on being like no ask granddad um I would probably ask granddad myself first if he's okay with being <laughs> okay, asked uh, those questions oh I thought you said you because... were going to ask him what's a blowjob <laughs> <laughs> because consent works in all of those ways and I think yeah um you know like you can't control everything your child does obviously But like you said, you can use those as like opportunities to figure out where they're at um, with things. And so I think it's like we were saying before, it's about um, like leading by example as well. Mm -hmm. So by saying, hey, um, you know, like when we talk about your penis or like when we talk about your body parts, um, like not not everyone likes to talk about that. And that's Mm -hmm. fine. And so mummy's mummy and daddy are okay to talk about that with if you want to but grandma and granddad don't they don't really like talking about it <laughs> like, do, you, yeah. do you know what I mean like <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, yeah I don't I'm literally making this up right now but that's kind of how I think I would approach that because yeah. then what that is also giving them an example of is grandma and granddad's boundaries and what they consent to yeah. as well because then we can also say to Rowan hey if you don't want to play this game or if you don't want to do this or if you know then you know that's that's fine like tell us kind yeah of thing. consent isn't just about bodily space it's also about emotional space yeah i have a very <laughs> i don't know if you remember this occasion laura but there was one occasion when uh one of um my sons swore in front of me there was a conversation going on in the back of the car and he swore he used it he used a, a, a swear word and I said to him, what did you say? And he wouldn't say it in front of me. And so I said, why won't you say it? Because you, you know, I heard it. So why won't you say the word to me openly? And he said, because it's rude. And I said, well, what does it mean? <laughs> so um, and he got really upset and embarrassed. And I said, OK, so shall I tell you what it means then? And he was absolutely, there were friends of his in the car. He was absolutely frozen. Oh my God, I love this. I might actually explain what this word meant. And so I said to him, okay, this time I won't. But next time you use a word that you don't want to say in front of me, in my hearing, either you explain it to me or I promise you, I will explain to you what it means. Because I think you already know, but we're going to talk about it. And the message was there are certain words that you don't say in front of adults. And, you know, you know, I know these words. I know you know these words. I know you and your friends use these words together. But in front of adults, you don't use those words because it's not okay. And they might call you out. Sorry? And they might call you out (laughs) and ask you to explain it. Exactly. And, you know, he never in front of me again. But maybe that's... To this day. (laughs) To this day. day. He never swore again. He never swore again. He was too terrified. (laughs) Well, I have another question, just going back to a little bit what we were talking about before, which I've kind of bookmarked, is when you were talking about the consent stuff, um, especially in terms of like not giving hugs if kids don't want to give hugs and that Mm. kind of stuff. um, 
obviously that's that's an easy it can sometimes be an easier lesson to teach children than to teach the adults around you Mm. and i i've talked to a lot of people who who want to practice that with their kids but then when it comes to their parents their in-laws etc they get a lot of pushback um, and can get into these kind of really not very productive confrontations of like oh are you saying that i'm you know uh, you know being aggressive or sexually aggressive towards a child or whatever you know it can get into a nasty place really really quickly so do you have advice for maybe try i guess trying to explain it to an older generation rather than just strictly holding that boundary um i still think if if you can and you feel comfortable to do be really consistent with Mm. um the boundaries that you set around your child children um and like the choices that you make with parenting like we we did that really early on when I was pregnant about photos Mm. so we just said like we'll share photos of of him with you but it but you are not allowed to post them anywhere not even like do not post them on your social media like we don't know who your friends are on there um and the the boundary was like if you do, then we revoke photo privileges and you, we yeah. don't, you don't get any photos. So that, so that's the only like example that I have from experience currently. Mm. Um, and also now it's, it, we've got into that practice and that habit of like family members are like, they'll be like, oh, can I send this photo to um, like these people? And I'll be like, yeah, yeah that's fine. Because um, I know that it's happening like privately rather than like on social media. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah, if you can be consistent, be because that's kind of like if if you are consistent, then you know eventually, hopefully, the message will get through. Because if you are, are lenient one day, then yeah. that just might like open up the floodgates for them not actually taking that boundary very seriously um, and not thinking that it is a a, a real thing. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but then also just like really just explaining um what the benefits of that is in terms of like why you're teaching them that lesson and what that means for the positive outcome that it is going to have on that child who I'm assuming these family members care deeply about and want what is best for them and so I think just trying to really appeal to hopefully their rationality um Mm. of like no this this is the this is what has been shown to have like the best outcomes when it comes to things like bodily autonomy and understanding consent and safety and like all of those things and Mm. and also not and also just saying like don't take it personally if the kid doesn't want to hug you yeah (laughs) like kids are weird yeah like and and not and not um not necessarily setting a strict rule of that you can't ask for a hug. Like, by all means, you can ask them. Yeah. But if they say no or they run away, then you have to kind of just be like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's something else with, with, with also your own parenting of a child. If they say, no, I don't want you to change my nappy, then, you know, you can, you can have a debate with them. But if you, yeah. you also have In to the- stick by what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. And I think those are conversations to be had kind of like, um these are the people who change who who can change your nappy and this is the reason like once they get to like a a bit older when you can talk to them these are these are the people who are allowed to change your nappy and touch you there and only for these reasons and this is why we're doing it yeah yeah okay so then moving on to slightly like bigger picture stuff than just like bodily consent presumably teaching kids about sex is also about teaching them about healthy relationships around sex mm-hmm. right it's not just about bodies so and that that healthy relationships with other people listening to other people thinking about other people's comfort that kind of stuff presumably is something that you can start really really early on with i mean not too early on because toddlers are like little demons but, <laughs> <laughs> but past that point what would you say for slightly kind of older kids in terms of how we build healthy relationships with other people Starting with friendships. Friendships mm-hmm. and family relationships, that is something that everyone will have some kind of experience with. Um, yeah, and so start very much starting there and talking about, like, what does it mean to be a good friend? 
Mm. Um, like what what kinds of things does a good friend do or say? Um, and 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 kind of like yeah, starting there. And I think one of the things that we tend to focus a lot more on, especially like once we get to the point of talking about romantic and sexual relationships, is we tend to talk a lot about like red flags things to avoid um and like signs of abuse and Mm -hmm. like especially like early signs as well to kind of you know all the safeguarding stuff um but then we forget to have the conversation about what are the green flags yeah like what what does make a good romantic or sexual partner what makes a good friend like um like i think especially like really young like you can absolutely like start with those those conversations and then also like you know it evolves as you get older and yes obviously you want to talk about the signs of abuse and you know inform um young people to be able to like look out for those things for themselves but then also their their peers but don't forget about talking about the 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 good stuff as well the good things to look out for Yeah, I really like that because I think I have, especially kind of being a teenager and young adult, I had lots of friends who were in relationships who weren't that weren't necessarily abusive, not necessarily Mm -hmm. demonstrating a red flag that you would talk about, but definitely weren't in the territory of like healthy, loving, fun relationship that that people enjoy for the most part. Yeah. yeah, So I think that's a really key thing that's missing is like what happens when it does work out. What does a positive kind of even what is what is positive arguing versus negative arguing, right? Like, yeah, like did, what, what is to, a disagreement? Yeah, exactly. You have to mm-hmm. learn to be able to negotiate your differences and both compromise a little bit without it being a knockdown drag out fight. Mm-hmm. Um, and we don't always see good models of that necessarily. No, no. Um, okay. Oh, sorry. I I have a question, Hannah. Which. Um, I listening to you to you talking I I'm sort of thinking these these are wonderful ideas but what happens when your child is outside the home you know when they're in school mm. and people say oh cover up or don't do that it's rude or it's not nice or or whatever and how mm. you navigate for your child understanding that even people who you know aren't necessarily malevolent but just have different ideas might yeah just regurgitating society's values yeah you know i mean i laura i remember your grandmother saying to you once when you were a teenager gosh laura you look really well have you lost weight oh yeah Mm. and that's classic she still does it she still does it she she meant it she meant you look really well and she also meant it's great if you've lost weight laura because she had a touch of anorexia herself um and um you know what do you do 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 you do you intervene or do you try and explain and try and explain the differences or do you just say well hopefully my child will work out you you know these different sets Mm. of decide for themselves what's okay and what's not okay yeah i mean well if that happened around you then depending on your relationship with that person you Mm. may want to intervene and say something not necessarily to like attack them but just to offer up an alternative um perspective um but i again this is one of those things where i'm like this is in my future and i'm like how do you deal with that i don't know oh my god (laughs) sorry we're giving you a vision of a of a future hellscape oh my god these are all things that i need to learn to navigate i'm i'm definitely like in terms of parenting, I've definitely been a learning on the job kind of person and not like reading parenting books. I know everyone's got their like their things and their methods and their systems and stuff. But I'm like, part of me is like, I don't need to worry about that. That's like five, (laughs) six years time. Um, But professionally, I do find it interesting to talk about Mm. these things. Um, um, So I would hope that we would do enough of the groundwork that once we you know rowan leaves the nest whatever and he's like at school and having interactions with other people that we are not there to witness um that he would you know like have have enough of a foundation 
to either, if he's confused about something, come to us and ask us the question, um, or or just kind of like having a good enough relationship with us where he's happy to kind of go, oh, and today so-and-so said this, like, you know, like in a neutral way. And then we might be like, oh, interesting. (laughs) Um, But again, I think it is a case of like really not shaming him. Yes, yes. Um, And and also trying not to shame the other people involved as well because they're like potentially his friends and people that he likes. And also I have to get on with, their parents um (laughs) the the politics (laughs) um um but like I said it's like offering the alternative narrative because I think a lot of the issues that we face as we become adults when it comes to like sex relationships our different values about those things and our bodies and everything is because we've only been offered one narrative and that Mm -hmm. one narrative if if there's been no talk at home with your parents or carers, if there's been no sex ed in school, that narrative will then come from uh, media and porn. porn. And um, and then also, even if it's not coming directly from those places, it might be coming from friends who've got older siblings or, or yeah. do access those things. So, and, and there is like a mainstream narrative about sex and gender roles and all of these things. And so by talking about these things it's just about offering the alternative but then also kind of not shying away from talking about what the mainstream um values and ideas are as well and just kind of be like some people believe this and what what kind of like is and and, you know dissecting that a little bit and obviously as they get older you'll be able to like have a bit more of like critical conversations with them as well about these things of like oh what does that mean and like oh um so and so said this is how girls are and it's like well what do you know about girls what girls do you know and do they act like that all of the time all of them Mm. (laughs) um and yeah really kind of yeah that's kind of how I think I would hopefully approach it (laughs) well and um what I remember mum is that we we talked about I don't remember from how early, but I remember us talking about how grandma, but also other people have some odd things about food mm. and exercise. I don't think we necessarily used the word anorexia no. or maybe we did. I can't remember. But um, so that I had a framework of just not, not, you know, the framework wasn't grandma said it. So it's right. Mm. The framework was grandma's very hung up on these things. So she worries about it, but you don't really have to worry about it. That's not explicitly what you said, but that was what I took from it. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's about like um, m- making them understand that just because someone has said something, that doesn't necessarily mean it's true or true about you. What yeah. it actually is, is it's more information about what's going on with them. Exactly. And if you can it kind of explain a bit of the context instead of just like, oh, I feel like grandma said something mean to me, mm-hmm. <laughs> then then it's easier for kids to understand and like what you were saying before often they don't really need like a big detailed understanding of all the societal forces that lead towards fat phobia you can just say you'll get there eventually (laughs) yeah exactly it's it's about building the steps (laughs) but it's just grandma has some funny stuff around food and exercise and you don't need to worry about it yeah um is a big one but considering that we just you just touched on a a topic that is close to our hearts in terms of gender bias Mm. um is that so talking about how you know what girls are what boys are Mm -hmm. distinctions between genders and very rigid gender norms presumably that's something that you're also thinking about how you're going to talk to rowan about a lot yeah yeah yeah. that's a that's also a big one for me um i watched this documentary a few years ago um where they took a class of seven-year-olds and they well they took two classes of seven-year-olds and they at the beginning of this experiment they like um interviewed tested them all on like their own gender bias turns Mm. out they had a lot um and then they took one of the classes and they did it loads of different interventions about talking about boys and girls men and women and you know breaking down myths and stereotypes and all of that kind of stuff and then they tested them all again at the end 
And it was really interesting. It was so fascinating, but also so terrifying to see these talking heads of tiny seven-year-old children of a little boy going, boys are strong and girls are weak. And you're like, what? How did you get to that conclusion? Like, Who told you that? Oh, my God. And so I think one of the things that does scare me a little bit as a parent is like how much you're coming up against like you're not parenting in a vacuum like if you do nothing your children will have these really stereotypical strong very like gender bias views if you do nothing that will that is what will happen because that is the society that we live in so you have to be so proactive um and so yeah that's definitely something that we think about a lot. Like, we didn't find out the genitals of the baby until they were born, and then it was like, okay, penis, right, what are we dealing with here? (laughs) Other than streams of piss at at this point. exactly. Um, But, I mean, and, and, you know, like, I don't live in a vacuum as well. Like, I like to think that, you know, whether he had a penis or a vulva, I would parent him the same, but that's probably not true. Um, But I do think... Um, there is something to be said about like raising a, a boy to understand all of the different kinds of masculinities yep. that there can be. Um, luckily, he's got like, you know, my partner who's a man like exhibits lots of different kinds of masculinities. He's got his two granddads who are very different as well in their masculinity, and 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 so. Yeah, I think it's just about really showing the like, there's no one way to like be a boy. There's no yeah. one way to be a girl. And then also like, if you don't like the gender that you, that everyone yeah. thinks you are, like you can opt out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's all a movable feast. Yeah. Um, um, so yeah, I think I think just kind of giving them the options, but also just like kind of what we were saying at the beginning, like really listening yeah um to what they want and where they're at and how they're thinking and feeling about these things well one of the reasons that we started quest of kids which is the business that that mom and i both work on at the mm. moment is to try and because one of the things that we found out is that by the time kids leave primary school they're gender norms their understanding of gender norms are pretty fixed like it's pretty <sighs> difficult to to kind of dig them out after that stage so you've got to start early you've got to start really really early and i don't remember having any conversations about that kind of thing in primary school that's like not a thing no and still to this day a lot of the when female role models and things are talked about in in history or traditional culture they're often kind of like an add-on thing look at these exceptions there's there's a woman um, (laughs) there's that one woman (laughs) that one queen elizabeth (laughs) oh yeah or you know the the sort of the exceptional woman instead of yeah exactly all these people have the potential to become a scientist exactly there's there's and so one of the things that we do is we have a whole series of characters that our two main characters meet and almost all of them are women because we want to be able to show that you can teach about the history of a country only through the stories of women that it's just as legitimate history if it's through the stories of women as it is with the stories yeah and and it's interesting that you do that as well because one of the things that i've been kind of learning about more recently as well when it comes to tackling a lot of the like really systemic issues like especially around gender and around race and things Mm. is that because like the white man is the default like especially if we think about like just stories and history and like and we because that is the default we actually see white and male as neutral but it's not neutral at all like and and so when you make an active choice to be like all of these characters are going to be women actually what you're what you're doing there is um shifting the balance in a really brilliant way because if you were like oh let's make the characters like 50 50 you know yeah then 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 what that is kind of doing is um i don't know there's i can't quite articulate this because it's something that i've just been like learning about recently you're yeah. trying to make it fair in in quotes in a system that isn't fair. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's appeasing what's already there. Whereas actually, what we're saying is is you know considering that the his- that history has been taught as being an almost an entirely male affair for so long, 
like it's time to move on to something else now yeah you can talk and about a- all these yeah. topics yeah and actually it's not it's not about currently making things equal and ma- making things fair what it actually is it's about centering women yes. it's about centering people of color disabled people Absolutely. and actually having them put in the forefront of these narratives um because they were always there they were always there looking at them exactly exactly and and also it then isn't just like a tag on um and it's and it's almost like pushing those identities in the same not in the same way but to counter to to actually counter the the way that the white man as a default is being yeah. pushed on this because that has been pushed on us so hard. You have to yeah. push against it. Absolutely. Really hard and one of well. the things that we say, you know, we sometimes get get kind of pushback from people who say, but what about little boys? They won't like it. And actually we say, well, what actually, about all the little notice. girls? What about who, all the little girls? Who have with? been reading books that only have boys in them? They, exactly. They're not traumatized. No, like, and also, but we say that the little boys probably won't notice. Like, they yeah. might go, oh, all these people are girls. Hmm, interesting, I'll go do something else. You know, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, d- they don't notice. It's about working on that foundational level, mm. that foundational level of white maleness <laughs> that exists in our yeah. society. It's in trying the books, to just, the films. yeah, gradually, gradually shift what we see as just a default human being. Yeah, exactly. And a exactly. neutral human being. Actually, and I think mm-hmm. I think there is another there is another thread to that, which is about there are different voices, there are different perspectives, because I think that traditional white male voice suggests that is it is the voice, it is the truth, and I think one of the things mm. that we try to do is to demonstrate that there are different voices. And they're all legitimate. You know, the, the, there are the voices of women, there are the voices of people of colour, there are the voices of people with disability or, you know, of different sexualities and different gender identities. Mm. And it's possible for all of those verses, voices to exist. And they just have a different way of seeing the world. Not They're not disrupting the truth or, or the mm. view of the world, but just a... a a more three-dimensional, more interesting, more diverse. Um, and, and I guess the, the, the thing about women is that as two women, we have a sort of legitimacy to talk about, specifically about the experiences of women, but we also draw in the idea of different, other different voices and different ways of making sense of the world. Mm-hmm. Okay, so... Um one of the things that's come up recently in the news is about there have been some members of parliament who have basically been saying that that sex education in schools has gone too far. Mm. Um, now we're learning about, I think it was, she said something like um, 72 genders and uh, lessons on how to give oral sex, which I suspect <laughs> are not true. <laughs> but there's there's now going to be like a big review of all yeah. the stuff that gets taught in um, RSHE, PSHE. Um, what do you think is the place of sex education in schools as opposed to in in families? Crucial, because like as we said, like parents are bringing their own baggage about yeah. sex and relationships to their parenting, um, and so you can't be um, sure that everybody is getting the same information. Yeah. Um, and you know that's why like. Um, you know, nationalised education became a thing what, in, like, the Victorian period as well. It's like, let's get everyone on the same page. Like, free <laughs> education for all kids. Yep. Um, and it and it and and it's just another extension of that. It's just another topic area that deserves to be taken as seriously as all of the other ones on the mm. curriculum. Um, it is, like, it's annoying and scary that um the government have done this and also like not surprising because all of the like organizations that have been involved for years in getting rse on the agenda and getting it on the curriculum like it has been decades and then Mm. finally 2020 like it happened like it was on like it's not it wasn't perfect but it was like oh my goodness like it is compulsory and this is something that schools have to do Mm. um and now like we're only three years later and they're like "Mm, hang on a second um and it it is it's just coming from this the, the the classic like 
fear-mongery, won't somebody think of the children, yeah. like, rhetoric. And we can see, and, and it's, you know, it's not happening in a vacuum. This is part of, like, this huge, like, this the bigger picture of, you know, it's connected to a lot of the stuff happening in the States, like the Don't Say Gay Bill in Florida. Yeah. These all of the book bans and bans on like uh you know the the drag, drag shows queens. where they're you know story time for kids um it's all part of the same thing and yeah and and yeah this look into like appropriate what is appropriate and like who decides that yeah who gets to decide that um rather than like leaving it to the experts mm-hmm. <laughs> in terms of like what will have the most positive outcome for young people in terms of their relationship with themselves and their relationship with others yeah absolutely okay um so i think we're kind of winding down now Mm. but um just quickly we've i mean there's already been so much that's already been discussed but do you have any other kind of pieces of advice for for parents talking about sex talking about bodies talking about all that stuff that can sometimes be a bit awkward for kids with yeah. kids, sorry. I think, um, and we've kind of gotten into this, but I, I, I want to reiterate it of actually sitting down with yourself, your partner, if you're co-parenting um, or whoever else is like heavily involved in your child's care mm. and asking yourself questions about how you feel about these sub- this subject matter before you then start, you know, before you yeah before you get to the point where you're having like full-blown conversations with them so like um yeah like what what was your sex education like how were you taught to feel about your body growing up um Mm -hmm. and really kind of figuring out first and foremost where you're coming from and where you sit with this and it's totally fine to have like different values when it comes to uh sex and relationships um but I think the important thing is to not assume that how you feel about those things is going to be how your child is going to feel about those things or how other people feel or should act and, and things like that. And so really like examining where you're coming from and then leaving things like as open as possible for your child to explore. Yeah. Um, and, and all of that good. And I guess also recognizing that the sex education that you received also might not have been great. And yes. like, because sometimes yeah. people get Where really were stuck you in failed? Like, like, you might have been failed on yeah, multiple exactly. fronts when it comes to like the sex ed that you yeah. received or Yeah, And didn't. people get stuck in this whole, like, well, it worked out fine for me. <laughs> and you have to think, oh, but did, did it? it? <laughs> but did it, though? <laughs> okay. So we're going to finish up with the question that we're asking all of our guests, mm. which is what do you wish you'd known about being a parent? Or what is the thing about being a parent you'd like to know more about? Oh, I mean. I'm going to be controversial here. Go for it. And say nothing. (laughs) Because, and I have reasoning, reason behind this. So like what I'd wish I'd known more, like I, to be honest, I think I went into parenting quite blind. Um, But they say nothing prepares you. So why bother (laughs) trying to prepare? (laughs) So just do it on the fly. I think, I, I don't think there's anything more that I would have wanted to know that I on top of what I knew going into it. And then also there is, um, you know, over-preparation is a thing. Because you do not know what kind of baby you're going to have until that baby is there. Yep. Um, So nothing. (laughs) And then the (laughs) second one, what do I want to know going, like, forwards? I mean, I could say everything. Because, like, the things that have come up in this conversation, I'm like, oh, my God, you know, how do you navigate that? And, like, how do you navigate that? And Sorry, actually, we've given no, you nightmares. Well, no, because the thing is, is that I can, you know, end this call and then forget about it until it then becomes <laughs> relevant for me. Yeah. Um, and then I'll draw upon it. Then I'll be calling you up again, being like, oh, my God, Ruth, <laughs> help me. Um, but that's just my general philosophy on on parenting and obviously everyone is is going to be different but I kind of I'm like every day taking just every day at a time one step at a time and um yeah I I, you know you can fill your brain with like all of this information and like feel as prepared as as you want to be to feel comfortable but that but actually I want to be filling my brain with other stuff (laughs) 
Yeah, you can just Google it at the time. When it becomes relevant, then I'll be on it. (laughs) Okay. But currently, I'm good. Please keep me in the dark. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. So, um, Hannah, where can people find you if they want to learn more about you and your work? Um, Yeah, so I am Hannah Witten, most places online. So my sex education YouTube channel is youtube.com forward slash Hannah Witten. But I also have another YouTube channel, which is More Hannah, which if you're more interested in kind of like the lifestyle parenting, watching me fumble through this mess, that's where you can see all of that kind of stuff. Um, And then my podcast is called Doing It um and we're currently on a bit of a hiatus in between seasons right now but there is a whole backlog if you're new to it there's a lot of stuff there so there's a lot to dive into perfect thank you so much for for coming to join us we thank had you. such a interesting conversation yeah this is fun too awesome <laughs> All right, before we go, we've got time for a listener question and it's about co-parenting. Shall I read it? Yeah, that would be great. Um, I have a question about co-parenting and when to introduce my children aged three and five to a new partner. We've been together for a few months and are very sure about one another, but I haven't ever been in this situation before and I'm unsure when and how is best to introduce her to my children. Please keep this question anonymous. Okay, anonymous, what do you think, mum? Well, I think that... Dealing with this sort of situation is it how you deal with it really depends on the circumstances um, within the family. So so in general, um, it seems to me that if this person is 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 part of their co-parents life, it seems reasonable that the children should share with that. You know, it's a sort of it's a joyful, happy thing and they will enjoy seeing their parent being happy and and being you know enjoying life so that's generally a good thing but clearly there are a few complexities I mean one one of them is that before you do any introducing it's probably a good idea well it is a good idea to talk to the other co-parent the person who um you know the other the other parent of 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 the children that that this person's worried about um and just have a conversation with them and say not asking permission but but saying this is what I'm planning to do are you happy with that is there any way that you would particularly like me to approach it that would make you feel more comfortable yeah and some people some people suggest it's a good idea to have if the other co-parent wants to to allow the co-parent to meet the partner first as well because you're all going to be part of the same parenting structure yeah, I mean, I think I think that's part of that whole idea about keeping this as open and as conflict-free as, as as possible. Because whilst it might be difficult and and uh, you know have extra layers to it for the adults, what you want is for this to be a fairly straightforward, okay thing to be happening from the child's point of view. And the more relaxed and 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 you know at ease the the the, the co-parents are the more likely it is that the kids are just going to sail through it without really noticing any any big drama or change yeah agreed I also think it might be a good idea if before you introduce your your new partner to your kids also integrate them into other areas of your life as well let your friends meet them as well Um, it doesn't have to be kids first yeah 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 I think I think that's uh, I think that's right and it you know it is when you start on a new relationship you there's just two people and there's a sort of joy that comes from that and and actually the point at which you introduce your friends other family members in this situation your children you know what happens then becomes much bigger much more complex and in a way much more public it stops being just about the two of you and it becomes you know integrating your the new person into a complete social structure Um, yeah true can be a bit complex but it's worth doing because there's also I guess it's joy I guess it's also worth thinking about if you're going to introduce your new partner and they're going to be spending lots and lots of time around your kids it's also worthwhile having you know the beginnings of a discussion of like of how how the parenting dynamic is going to look you know does your new partner for example will they get involved in helping with homework with discipline with rules around the house how is that going to work when they're spending more and more time with your kids, are they going to be hands off or are they going to be hands on? And also if your new, I know, I don't think this is the situation for the questioner, but it might be for somebody else. If they're, if your new partner has their own kids, 
there need to be even more conversations about what are the different rules how do the two households do things differently you can't just expect it all to just mesh into place automatically yeah and you know you think about how complex it is for two people to negotiate you know boundaries around parenting and 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 discipline and the things that really matter to you you have to recognize the fact that you've now got three possibly four people who will have a view about what happens um and it's always just better to try and have conversations about that and start off with the simple things you know start off with who's going to do what at a very practical level um and what time is dinner exactly exactly what do we have for dinner <laughs> yeah <laughs> Can we who's a vegetarian yeah exactly exactly <laughs> i think i think you know it's a whole new renegotiation and a more complex one because there are now more players yeah but so actually actually the timing of things is the is the least of your worries <laughs> there's so many other things to think about exactly exactly but but you know maybe take it slowly and don't you know don't throw people in the deep end kids or your other you know your ex-partner or whatever just just try and make sure everybody's not taken too much by surprise because that's often when people start getting feeling uncomfortable or that they've been you know maneuvered into a situation that they aren't entirely comfortable with so yeah just take it nice and slowly and um yeah you'll get there you'll get there all right. I think that's pretty much all from us for now. Just want to say thank you again to Hannah. It was a great chat. I really feel like we've learned a lot. As always, you can find the Let's Talk About Parenting podcast on Instagram and Facebook. If you have a question for us, we really love to get your questions and also your comment. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please make sure to follow, like, subscribe and send on to other people. We really, really appreciate it. All right, that's all from us. Thanks, everybody, and see you next time. Bye. The Let's Talk About Parenting podcast is sponsored by Questa Kids, an online educational game for kids aged 7 to 12. Questa Kids follows Questa and Zeke on a journey around the world, traveling through time, and teaches children about geography, history, maths, culture, and plenty more. Questa Kids makes learning fun. So sign up today at questakids.com for a free 30-day trial. You can also get 15% off with the code LET'S TALK ABOUT.